0: Okay, tonight we're going to talk on the issue of picking up your environment or your emotional intelligence, your emotional intelligence. Now, we talk a lot about your intellectual intelligence, but let's see if your emotions are intelligent. Y'all want to look into that tonight? Okay, this is something new. It's kind of a new concept, and it just hit me And Tonight, we're going to examine your emotional intelligence. This reminds me of when I was a kid. I had a pet chameleon. Did any of y'all have those? Like when I would go down and see my uncle in Houston, he would catch a little lizard for me, and he'd tie a little chain around its neck, a little string, and then he would pin it to my shirt. Are you familiar with this? And no matter what shirt I would put on, that thing would turn and be exactly that color. Have you ever seen them do that? If you ever see a little chameleon, you can take them, and no matter what you put them on, they will switch to be that color. Or at least they'll give a good try at it. And so they change their different shades for protection. In thinking about that, I thought this reminds me of this emotional intelligence Bible study. There's people out there that are chameleon people. They change their shades. They can flip their colors to blend in. And this has to do with how you handle your environment. Are you one of those that flip your colors and you blend in so that everybody's like, they can't see you? Or are you one of those that are neon, bright, red, yellow, and you stand out against everything? Okay, we're going to take a look at this. And I'm going to put a challenge out tonight. There's a story we love in the Bible. We've looked at it a hundred times. Tonight, we're going to use that as our basic, And I think it will be totally different than any other way you've interpreted So, the worst injustice you can do to a familiar scripture is say, Oh, it's familiar and I don't have to listen, I know this. I guarantee you there's something in this tonight that you'll get different than ever before. So, I want to talk a little bit about David tonight killing Goliath. And we're going to look into that. It comes from 1 Samuel 17. Okay. Now, I want you to think about something. What is the most popular Psalm in the Bible? Psalm 91, 23. <laughs> I was hoping for that, Richard. Thank you. Psalm 91. Yeah, before Mother's Book, the most popular psalm in the Bible was Psalm 23. <laughs> so, honestly, that would have been with us for ages. does anybody have it memorized where you could stand up and you could just quote Psalm 23 for us? Can any of you do it? Yeah. I remember I was looking at a a 97-year-old school teacher when my grandmother dragged me around to see anybody that was old. We'd bring them food. And she goes, well, listen to this lady's memory. And I was so impressed as a kid as this lady said Psalm 23 for me. And I want you to think about something. It's probably the most popular psalm in the Bible, more popular than any other psalm. And I think the reason we love it so much is it's a place of security. If you think about Psalm 23, there is nothing like the security you'll find in that psalm. The peace, the tranquility. Y'all think of these opening lines. The Lord is my shepherd. Isn't that a great feeling to think that the Lord is your shepherd? You know, I've known so many people that go, I wish I had someone that could give me guidance. You know, I wish my dad had played that role in my life to have given me guidance. I wish somebody would tell me what to do in this situation. Your answer is, The Lord is my shepherd. And then, have you ever felt that deficit inside where you're hurting or you're empty or you're lonely? Look at the next sentence The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If I have not quoted that a thousand times in my life, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I'll not have that wanting, that craving, that crazy kind of emptiness you can have. Have you ever laid in bed at night and you just think, I hurt? I want so bad. So this is how David opens his psalm up. The Lord is my shepherd and it causes me not to want. That kind of blows all theology out of the water to think that if the Lord's your shepherd, you're not going to want. You're not going to lack for anything. That the Lord is my shepherd. You can stop and go home right now because there's enough theology and the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It would hold you the rest of your life. Think of the next part. It says, He leads me in green pastures and I lie down beside still waters. Thank the Lord he didn't say he leads me between rocks and cactus and drought. <laughs> yeah. I'm in these waters that's just like turbulent and crazy. It's interesting here that David says he lays me down in green pastures. If it wasn't for those crazy chiggers, I'd be lying in green pastures all the time. I mean, there's nothing more fun than to get in the deep grass and just lie down and look up at the clouds. Just look at the stars at night. I mean, the green grass and the still waters. And it says that He makes me lie down. I like that. Sometimes God's got to make me lie down. Yeah, I'm on the go. I'm an action person. I like going. But He makes me lie down in green pastures and still waters. He restores my soul. And He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. You know, have any of you ever struggled with a sin? Or am I the only one that ever just was like, this is this one's a rough one? Never. Never? <laughs> We're going to open the mic tonight. <laughs> I was thinking about, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. One time I told the Lord, I said, why don't you fix this sin in my life for your name's sake? Since you lead me in paths of righteousness... Because I make you look bad when I'm not. (laughs) So lead me in those paths of righteousness for your namesake. You know, have you ever been a namesake to somebody? Were you named after anyone? Or John Jr. Jr.? The namesake. He said, lead me in paths of righteousness for your namesake. And then that part, he restores my soul. When you're torn up inside, when you're pain, all that kind of stuff. You know, for the Christian, that really is a restoration of the soul. Man, these are powerful words in Psalm 23. I was looking at it. It's feeding and leading. (laughs) It promises you here that God will feed you and He will lead you. Probably two of the most powerful things that a shepherd could do for you. He anoints me. He comforts me. He restores my soul. It ends with this powerful statement that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, if you work around sheep, that kind of reminds you of the two sheepdogs. And just thinking they're gonna follow me. What's gonna be in your path? Crisis and drama and destruction? Oh no, that's your roommate. <laughs> what kind of path do you leave behind you? Is it goodness and mercy? Is that what follows you? That oh my gosh, in the wake of this person, always in the wake of this person, is goodness and and mercy, They leave a trail of goodness and mercy. I love this psalm. I love Psalm 23. Look at this psalm and remember, this is the psalm that David wrote. More than loving this psalm and memorizing it, and when I'm 97 years of age, I still can quote the whole psalm to you. More than that, wouldn't it be awesome if you had written this thing? But if these were your personal words to the Lord. Have you ever sat down and wrote a psalm? Where just one day you were just like, right now, these are my words that I would write to the Lord. There was hope in the future because he said, In the future, goodness and mercy shall follow my life. It's in this setting of this song that David was able to do what happened in First Samuel 17. Let's go for it in your Bible and let's take a look at it. Because tonight we're going to talk about creating emotional environments. Did you know at Shabbat... That Jews sing this song in Hebrew. Yeah, they've said it to music. Can you imagine hearing them sing Psalm 23? And so at night, a lot of times I'd open my windows on Shabbat night and I'd hear the Hebrew songs as the whole family sung. And the whole Jewish culture will tell you, we're not religious, we're secular. But I don't sing Psalm 23 on Friday night. But that's what the Jews are doing because this is so deep into the culture. Both Jews and Christians alike agree this is the most powerful psalm and it ministers the most deeply to you. But for something that ministers deep, it's for a reason. In 1 Samuel 17, David was with the army of Israel and with this little guy named Goliath. Remember? (laughs) And actually, if you look at 1 Samuel 17, it was a tough day for David. And honestly, it didn't have much to do with Goliath. Did you know that most of your battles will be the battles you fight before you fight your battle? Because I guarantee you, you're not going to fight the biggest battle in your life without something happening for the devil to try to make you run off from it. You know, we have mission teams and their theory is, oh, all my letters came back in the mail and they got returned postage, so that means I'm not supposed to go. And you know, you're just like, oh no, it's completely the opposite. Until I get a good slap then I don't even think the devil's interested in my trip. And so this is what's happening with David. I'm going to talk tonight about three emotional environments he faced before he ever faced his biggest challenge. Okay, so it was a tough day before he ever fought. Eighty percent of this chapter deals with what leads up to the conflict. You know, we all know David killed Goliath. Oh, did I run the end of the story for someone? (laughs) Everybody knows the conflict of the chapter. I want us to look at the conflict before the conflict. And this is where I'm starting tonight with Lance Walnow, when he made one statement. And it just blew me away. He said, when David went into this environment, he was not porous. What on earth does that mean? When David went to face Goliath, he wasn't porous. And I'm going to say a statement to you. You've been lied to if you ever think you're going to face Goliath and beat him if you don't get this lesson down tonight because you will never face your conflicts, your biggest giant, you'll never face your biggest spiritual mountain unless you handle your emotional environment. And we teach our little kids all the time, the little man against the big guy. I'm going to tell you absolutely not. won't even solve this problem unless you do what David did and that's where you don't come into a situation porous, because we pick up our environment. All right, he spent his time with God, and that is the reason that David thinks differently than everyone else. If you go into your problems and you think like everyone else does, you'll get the results that everyone else gets. You can tell when people have spent their time with God. You can tell when they've settled some things inside of them. There's just a difference about them. And no one in the world will have the ability to keep you from being poor in this environment until you've had like what I'm going to call that Psalm 23 experience where you know that you know that you know that you know. You know, you can do this creating that emotional environment by worship, spending time with God. He brought his environment with him. It kind of reminds me of that time I was going to Israel and I was trying to use a little bit of a way to talk the parents and to let me have their kids see this group. You know, And so I thought, well, I'll tell them something that will reassure them. So I was assuring all the parents, let your kid go with me. And the Lord said, are you going to speak the way I speak about it? And he gave me a verse in Jeremiah. And he says, go to Judah and speak peace to the nation. And you will speak peace and you will carry the peace to my nation. And I suddenly realized, I'm not going to a place in the world where there is peace I'm not looking for that place to where I can go where there's peace on earth. I'm taking peace to them. And do you see yourself? You're bringing your environment to the situation. And, you know, all the parents were telling me, you make sure you take someone where there's peace. And the truth is, God was telling us, I sent you out as the messenger to bring peace into a situation. And this is what this is about. So it hit me like a ton of bricks. An emotional environment. It hit me like a ton of brick, because I knew this story so well, but I had never factored this in. You know what? This shows you that the Word of God is living and active and always alive, because you can take this story that you know that I've memorized, I even know what's on the top of the page and how I preach it and the points and realize, I've never picked this up out of the story. I'd never saw it. and it just took someone saying one sentence to me that David wasn't porous. That's what I'm saying, that David was not porous when he went into this environment and it changed everything for him. Okay, doing your own thinking. David's thinking and his feeling was different than everybody else's thinking and feeling. Okay, number one, you've got crowd environments. The Philistines, in verse 1, had gathered their forces for war and assembled at Judah. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelis were on another. Now that's a unique war situation. One was on one hill, one was on the other. And there was a valley in between. And into the valley a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came from the Philistine camp. And his height was six cubits in a span. He was nine foot nine. And he would come out, and he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor, a bronze, that weighed 5,000 shekels. So even the clothing he wore was heavy. If they were waiting for the White Wrestlers' Championship, they'd have to strip him of these clothes. And it says on his legs he wore bronze covering. So his armor even covered down to his legs. And a bronze javelin was hung on his back. His spear was like the weaver's rod and his iron point weighed 600 shekels. So whoever ended up on the end of his spear was going to have a big old point sticking right through him. His shield bearer went ahead of him. So you're not dealing with just Goliath. You're dealing with this little demon peon that ran in front of him screaming you know here's your shield here's your shield you know the little little assistant ran around Goliath and Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel why do you come out and line up for battle he's mocking them why do you even bother to come to battle am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul choose a man and have him come down to me if he's able to fight and kill me we will become your subjects but if I overcome and kill him you will become our subjects and will serve us did that come to pass? Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of the living God. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites shook in their tents and were dismayed and terrified. Okay, the emotional environment. David comes in on the scene. He's been asked to bring a little bit of food to his brothers. He's looking everywhere for his brothers in the crowd. And suddenly he sees this display of flesh like you can't believe. This guy's going out and he's mocking And have you ever come into a room where you felt in the room everybody's afraid? Have you ever had that sensation where you walked in just a room of people and every single person in that room was afraid? You know, I was thinking about the underground church that night when I went into the hotel and they realized they weren't getting the Bibles out quick enough. And remember the little 16-year-old with a fish on his shirt? And I asked him, what will happen to you tonight if they catch you with the Bibles? And what will happen to me if I'm caught in this room with you? And he said, you, they'll put in jail. But he said, me, they'll kill me. And I watched his hands, and they were shaking, and they were trying to get their Bibles out. They were packing them as fast as they could. He was like a robot working. And I thought, man, that 16-year-old is sure different than our 16-year-olds over here. They have a different reality. And, you know, that night they were like, we're not getting them out quick enough. We're going to be caught. Tonight's our night. And I've never in my life felt the kind of fear. When I opened the door, everybody in that room just jumped in terror, thinking, this is it. We're captured. You know... Another situation of where everybody in the house is afraid, I would think of a, is like a house being robbed. You know, can you imagine someone coming in? Can you imagine the fear in the families that came through? All right, I want you to think about this. David didn't walk up on a room full of people that were afraid or a group that was afraid. David walked into an entire army that was afraid. Are you seeing the difference? There wasn't one person. If you did the numbers on this, how many people were afraid to the point of crazy? This is a complete environment of fear. And, you know, you have it and you say, well, soldiers, they were fighting. I think it's funny. It says, for 40 days, in verse 16, the Philistines came forward, and every morning and every evening, Goliath took his stand. Okay, now Jesse said to his son David, take some grain, some loaves, and take it to the commander of the unit, to your brothers. Hurry up and go to their camp. See how your brothers are, and bring back some assurance from them. In other words, I need some good news from your brothers. They are with Saul, and all the men of Israel are in the valley Elah, fighting against the Philistines. You know what I say? Fighting? They weren't. (laughs) They were, they weren't even in their foxholes. They were completely scared. You know, Jake Griggs made this point: when you logically think you're doing something that you aren't doing, he said that's where most Christians live. Most Christians think I'm overcoming, I'm witnessing, I'm doing all, I'm letting my light shine. If people want to know about Christ, I can just look at my life, and I look at them and go, they're not seeing a thing. <laughs> and this is exactly these words here. You know, they said, and all the men of Israel are down there in the valley fighting. You know what? He shouldn't be bringing them food. They weren't fighting. I want you to think of something. Emotionally, they were shut down. They were trapped, and they were shaking. And think about this. The Bible says here, this had gone on for 40 days. That means how much longer could this have gone on? If David had not shown up on the scene after 40 days, it makes me wonder how many more days were they going to stay doing this? And think about this. If he was saying the same words morning and evening, they'd heard this speech now 80 times. Goliath had gotten up and said the same thing. And you know how it is. He's arrogant. He's boastful. He's proud. He goes, look at me. Send me your best. You know, and he's talking like this. Have you ever wanted to fight with someone, guys? And you knew that the way to get a man into a fight is provoking. You know, your mama. Or you do something to to get them into that fight. You know, Glassman. He was putting the knife in, and he was twisting it, and he was talking bad about them. And the more he provoked them, the more reluctant they became. That's what's hilarious. He was saying the worst stuff about them. It says he started cussing, and he was cussing at their God. He was cussing at everything, every single thing he could think of to provoke them. It wasn't getting them mad. Yeah. So, anyway, there wasn't a war going on. There was a lot of loud shouting and all kinds of the hype like a war. You know, no combat, no casualties, all his arrogance, and a lot of hype. Which, you know what, I think Christianity, churches, world play, hype, there's a lot of hype. What's real? Until you set this stage, all is, it's just a lot of noise. It's a lot of words. David came in and he didn't pick up the emotional environment. It tells us that he accidentally just came to battle. Isn't that interesting? Here Goliath is out on purpose challenging them, but the Bible lets you know David didn't even mean to show up for this. He was just the errand boy. He was just taking care of sheep and he accidentally ran into it. God can get you more places accidentally than you can get yourself on purpose. You know, Lance Wannow said, praying in the Spirit is what will move you here. It is. It's your secret sauce. And that's what it is. It's amazing, y'all. If your life's not going to your destiny, you're not ready for your battle. God's being kind to you. Because you're not building yourself up for this. This is what was happening inside of David's insides. I guess another way of putting this, you know that song, I've made fun of it before, but it says, Jesus didn't stop the storm, but he stopped the storm on the inside of his child. You know, if he doesn't stop the storm, he at least, you know, stops the storm that's raging inside the person. And I'm like, oh no, the Bible says he did both. I mean, I don't know how you get this thing of, you know, let's change Jesus' theology and tone him down. But the truth is, you can't stop a storm or a conflict until you get it out of the insides of you. Stop for a minute. Is the inside of your head, is it like like racing, restless, conflict? What is your emotional environment like? What's going on inside of you? If you're not peaceful, you need to get help. I think some people think, oh, I've got to live this way. My head's crazy. It's telling me all kinds of things. It's talking all kinds of noise. If that's what's happening to you, you need to stop and let him stop the storm inside of you. Speak peace, be still. I've known a lot of people and they go, well, I walk in authority in the daytime. I really do feel the peace of God. But man, at night, I have not terrorists. I have crazy thoughts come to me. I have junk coming at me. Then you've got the storm going on inside of you. Clary blessed me so much the other night, telling me her testimony of saying that she used to not sleep because she didn't like the dream she was dreaming. And I asked her, how did you get that to stop? She had gone so long without sleep. And she said, I went through deliverance. And she said, when I did, it stopped that mess going on at the night hours. So at this moment, I'm going to agree, you've got to have the right stuff inside of you to be able to go into the right place. You do transfer what's in coming out. You know, David didn't pick up everything on CNN News. You know, I was talking to Jake Wise's wife. She said, you know what Psalm 91 means to me? She said, something to keep me from going crazy of watching the Iraq invasion with my husband, the Marine, being the first on the ground, and CNN telling me this is happening, the casualties are happening. She said Psalm 91 was the opposite. That was the news I used to keep from letting CNN be my environment, be what sets the stage. And y'all, think of how many people are sitting there at night just soaking up that news, soaking up the news. And they don't have that stuff going on that switches it inside of them. No wonder people are fearful. Did you know it says in the last days that people are just going to drop dead from heart attacks? It said men's hearts will fail them. And you're hearing this. People will just, their heart can't take it. And they fed that fear and fed that fear. And that's what was happening with this crowd. The entire army, if you'd said boo, someone would have died. Because there was so much fear in there. And we feed this with the news. You know, they were talking about emotional intelligence. And you think about the emotion of a crowd. And I think of a football game. And you know, you do stuff at football games you wouldn't do anywhere else. Like if you acted in here, worshipping like you do at football game, someone would go, that's a little too radical. We don't like that. But why talk about football games when we could talk about what happens in a crowd? Do you do things at a concert you wouldn't do anywhere else? It's that crowd, it's that emotional, it's an emotional, it stirs us up into frenzies. You know, the same kind of situation happened when on one week they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, and taking their coats off and laying palm leaves down. One week later they're going, do you want Barabbas? You know, he's a murderer, come on, take him. You know, and they said, I know they're not going to pick a murderer over Jesus, he's the one that raises the dead. And the crowd starts screaming, Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Fine. Well, what do you want us to do with Jesus? Okay, we'll give you Barabbas. What about Jesus? Crucifying. Crucifying. It's the crowds. You know, one time I was walking down the steps of our house over here and they had 70 people in the room. And it, it was so many people they couldn't even get my pulpit in there. And I can't remember which one of my college kids. I think it might have been Justin. Or somebody says, does it go to your head when you've got 70 people waiting on you to speak? And I said, no, I think crowds almost scare me. Because one week they can be yelling, Yay, yeah, you're great, you're great, we love you, we can't live with you,' And the next week they're like, killer! You know, it just goes from one extreme to another. There's crowd intelligence. You can't trust the crowd. And yet some people live for that moment. They'll practice and do plays over and over just to hear that standing ovation. It's like something goes off in your head. And if you're performing for the ministry, for the sake of the people, it eventually it'll switch on you and it'll turn and it'll run you. You know, there's something odd about the kingdom of God. And we talked about this one night on a Sunday night, that the kingdom of God is upside down. It's backwards. It's reverse. It's opposite in the world's way. God's way is so different. You've got to give to receive. Can you really tell your little two-year-old, oh, it's more blessed to give than to receive? I mean, that kid's not going to believe you. <laughs> you know, there's crazy things if you do this. And, you know, we've talked about those are called salmon truths. It's like they go upstream. If your life is not going upstream, you're going with the current of the world. And I was thinking about this, of swimming upstream, the current, but it's the culture, it's what we see on TV. How much of your life is standing up against what every single, what everybody else is doing? You've got to be going against the current. It's an upside-down, backwards kind of kingdom, and all of a sudden you'll say, it's genius, it makes sense, you do. You have to give in order to receive. It starts to make sense to you after a while. But in that context of salmon Trues and the difference that we're going, I want to know, have you ever said this to yourself? I know what I believe. It couldn't be right because I'm the only person that believes this way. I'm the only one doing this. If this really was the right doctrine, look at this hope. They're not doing it. I know it cannot be right. There's no way it could be right. I don't know another Christian that thinks this way. I want you to look at this, notes. You're going to feel all alone. I can't be right because I'm the only one thinking this. This isn't a comparison in this story. Think of this with David. This is not a comparison between the Christian and the non-Christian. This isn't a comparison between us here and that guy across the street that doesn't know the Lord. Across the highway. This is not a comparison of that. It's not the Buddhist versus the believer. This isn't how a believer thinks and how the world thinks. This is talking about Christian against Christian. Look at this story. Everyone here was a soldier. Everyone was trained. Everyone was a part of the army of the living God. Everyone had a covenant with God. Everyone had promises. And yet David is the only one that knew he could fight And he could win. And if you think you feel alone, I want you to think of what David felt alone. You talk about doing your own thinking. He was the only person that thought the way that he thought. Y'all, it's absolutely true. I don't think no matter how bad it got, it would ever be this bad of odds for you. That it would be you against everyone else. Look at this. It's odd to know this. The people around him were covenant people. King Saul had a covenant with God just like David had a covenant with God. Every single person in that army had a covenant with God. But that's about the way it is. One man will act on his covenant when no one else will do it. And so if you think, my gosh, I'm the only one that believes this... I can't be right. You know, sometimes you almost think you're going crazy inside of thinking, there's no way what I believe could be true. The majority does not believe it. I'm saying this is unbelievable here. This proves that you can think differently than every single Christian you know and still be right. Every complacent Christian is going downstream while you're going upstream. Every Christian is paid to do something. He's paid to do it, but he does nothing. There's Christians everywhere drawing paychecks in the office of all kinds of things, and they're doing nothing but drawing their paycheck. Everyone who thinks he's standing on the promises of God who isn't. And David looks at him, and he scratches his head, and he says to him, isn't this an uncircumcised Philistine? I mean, he's the only one that brought attention to the covenant. And he goes... What are we thinking? If you think your thinking's odd, let me tell you something, it is. If you're thinking like an overcomer, you're the only one doing it. If you feel like that in your family, chances are it's true. This one shocks me because I don't think there's anybody that hadn't come into a deeper walk with the Lord that hadn't thought, I feel so alone. No one else believes this way. You know, you wake up in the morning and says, I'm feeling a little crazy this morning. You know, this man once said, if I'm crazy, I'm really enjoying my insanity. <laughs> It says that David left everything in the keeper of the supplies. And he ran to the battle lines. And he asked his brothers, how are you doing? Look at the sweet little David. Hey, how are you doing? I brought you some food. While he was talking to him, Goliath comes out. And he stepped to the line. He shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. And when the Israelites saw this man, they all fled. They were like, they spread in all directions. Verse 23, now the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He's defying Israel. I mean, they're good news reporters. That's how most Christians are. They'll tell you what happened, but they don't do anything about it. Yeah, if you were doing what you should on a mission trip, you shouldn't get them saved unless you're going to disciple them. You know, I can give you reports. And I'm just like, okay, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He's coming out to defy Israel. And they said the king will give his wealth to the man who kills him. He will give his daughter in marriage, and he will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Man, it's bad when you have to tempt people to be an overcomer. <laughs> Like, I'm going to sweeten this pot. Okay, if you'll please go on this mission trip. I'll, I'll pay for you. I'll pay for your... I won't I won't feed you blue. You know, you start making these concessions with them. I'll give you the prettiest girl to flirt with. Where's Gilbert? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Verse 20. I know, that was bad, Jesse. Okay, David asks, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disc? grace from Israel they're like this guy's disgracing us who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God and David kept asking the question and if I counted right David asked this question three times what will be done for the person who does this I think that's hilarious he asked three times you see it in verse 26 27 and 30 and did you know him asking that question so many times got his word to the king you wonder how did he get to Saul it's because he was jacking his head off he was asking everyone it's like maybe he thought maybe this isn't true you mean really I'm going to confirm this I would have killed him for nothing. And I'd get, what now? Name it to me one more time. And he's just making sure he's heard it and everything. Okay, tell me one more time what Angie said she'd give me. You know, I said I put $100 on Cullen's head. Whoever can get him on the field. Well, I'm going to up it this year. And so you sit there and you go, okay, I want to hear that again. Tell me again. And it said that he was jacking so much that the words got to the king. Uh, but not before his brother uh, tells him off first. Okay, number two, fam- environment is your family's environment. Praise the Lord for families who serve the Lord. I pray you make a family who serves the Lord. But some of you are an enigma. You are one of your kind. You've come out of it, and nobody in your family looks like you. John Douglas. <laughs> and how many of David's brothers were at this fight? Yeah. I was always shocked. Elab? Abinadab and Shammah and it says David was the youngest and when Elab David's oldest brother and eight heard him speaking with the men he burned with anger at him and he asked why have you come down here with whom did you leave those he didn't say those sheep in the wilderness who did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness in other words I'm going to insult you I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is you came down only to watch the battle Y'all write this down. This one will preach here. He accuses David of the very thing he's doing. He's a spectator. <laughs> Your enemies will always accuse you of exactly what they're doing. Yeah, it took me a real long time to figure it out, but I was as dumb as Samson. Delilah would come and go. You don't love me. You don't love me. You don't love me. And the person that goes, you don't love me, and then all of a sudden they jump out with full things going, ah! and they start knifing him to death. And the dumb thing is. The next scene she says, you don't love me. You don't love me again. I don't know why Simpson never thought about turning the question around and saying, I don't think you love me. <laughs> Some of you date like that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the very thing here. It says he accuses David, of being a spectator. You're only here to watch the battle. <laughs> That's hilarious. Your enemy will always accuse you of what they're doing. So David says, you know, this great spiritual thing, he wasn't quite ready for this one. Now, what have I done? You know, it sounds like a brother. Can I even speak? <laughs> and he turned away to someone else, and he brought up the same matter. <laughs> and the men answered this before, and they said, well, you'll get this and this and this. And so David's looking again, go, oh, I'll get this, this, and this. Okay, you know, I think about this here. You know, at that point, David could have gone, I'm going to go tell my daddy Jesse on you what you said. I mean, he could have run all the way home back to his dad again and said, you won't believe what Eli said to me. He hurt my feelings. He made fun of me in front of all the men. And he could have just griped and griped and griped. And I thought about it. You know, devil will try to hurt your feelings. He will try to yeah. do something to make you walk away. That tattletale spirit could have gotten David where he never got to fight Goliath. Because it only makes sense for a kid that's the youngest brother to run home and tell him the eldest brother. And it will cost you your victory. You know, I think this is amazing here that David had the presence of mind to just ignore his brother. And this is youngest to oldest. This is seven brothers in all. But when David became king, I don't think he promoted Elab. <laughs> He's like, you're not very trustworthy. Okay. He may have been thrashed by his words, publicly embarrassed, but notice this, he was not stopped by them. Do not let someone's words stop you. You can be thrashed, you can be humiliated, you can be embarrassed, but the devil has one word for you, and it's quit. And he will try to make you quit. Quit every single way this is what i call my Eli slap i want one good slap before i go fight because if i don't get my Eli slap i know i'm not even engaged in my battle yet okay i was thinking about john who works as a engineer he can tell the story better than me but he got promoted into a department and he said all they did was grumble they grumbled they grumbled they ripped the boss apart he said every single person in there would just grumble about that boss. But the Lord told him, do not open your mouth against this boss. So he would pray. And for months, and he told me one day I got tempted and I laughed at one of their jokes. <laughs> and he said that the Lord got onto him and He caught him in his spirit. Because what was God doing? He was not letting him pick up his environment. I honestly my personal opinion is they saw this quality on John that he didn't pick up his environment and they promoted him to the department they had the worst trouble with to see if he could fix it. I've always thought I think they might have done this because John was happy and enjoyed life and going on there like, We'll take him and put him with this problem and that's what God does. He's like, I'm gonna promote this to here. And that's exactly what happened here. So your family environment, your work family, everywhere you are, it's interesting what God does. Number three is your leadership environment. David is promoted to get to go see Saul. And did you know his words were so gracious when he saw Saul? Have you ever studied his words? How beautiful David's words were to Saul? He didn't go, what on earth do you think you're doing? Prove to me you're a covenant man because I'm not seeing any evidence of it. (laughs) You know, honestly, I've been anointed king and I have a better plan than you do. He had. He had already been anointed to take the guy's place. Look at his words to Saul. Let no man's heart fail him on account of Goliath, for your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Aren't those the most gracious words you've ever heard? From a guy that was anointed to take this guy's place, David says to him, don't let your heart fail. I can do it. I think that is so beautiful. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. How beautiful the words. David graciously and somewhat indirectly encourages Saul not to fear. Man, that to me is a beautiful statement. David graciously and indirectly encourages Saul, have heart. David's courage grows out of his theology. David's courage grows because of what he believes. What you believe will change your environment. Verse 39, and then he says, hey, I can't do these weapons you've given me. I've got to use these weapons that I've tested, that I've proven out. He said, because I've used these and I've killed my lions and I've killed my bears. If you use someone else's, you will fail. Did you know that even a 17-year-old can have experience with the Lord? Do you know that's what we're doing to you? We're trying to give you some experience by taking you in the mission field? I could put you in a pulpit right now and you might could preach the best sermon theologically anyone's ever heard. But they're not going to listen to you till you have experience. So that's why you go to a spiritual greenhouse where you're going to see every kind of sickness. Hopefully you'll get chased by some natives with some weapons or something good's going to happen to you. I mean, we're trying to manufacture some simulated experiences because if you don't get experience, no one's going to listen to you. You've got to have experience. So, this is impressive here that little boy David had killed the lion and the bear. And we've talked about the lion. When the lion is jumping at you, what's coming towards you? Teeth and claws. And it says, and he reached and grabbed him by the beard. I wouldn't have grabbed him by the beard, I grabbed him by the tail. And I would have swung him around and around and around. (laughs) I think that's hilarious that the way that he puts him down is he grabs the lion by the beard. I mean, that's crazy. You're reaching in between two claws coming at you and a beard, and you're grabbing hold of him, and you go, I can get the sheep out of the mouth. This is the part I love about this story. If I went home and I said something to my mom, I'd say, oh, there's a claw. She'd go, what are you thinking you're doing? Those sheep aren't worth as much as you were. I can get more sheep. Don't do it. But what was in the heart of a king? He said, it's worth my life to rescue a sheep. And when God saw that, he said, I could promote that. That's why true leadership jumps in first. He jumped in and he rescued something that was, it's not worth as much as a human. But it gave him experience. Pray over your sick animals. You know, I'll never forget my dad with a cow. with It had cancer in the eye. And they went out, the vet had sprayed a ring around its eye. To show that they were trying to keep infection out of it, the eye they, it had the infection got so bad the eyeball burst, and so the cow would walk around in a circle because it only had one eye. So my dad went out and he took Bill and they went out and they prayed over that cow that was walking in the circle. The next day it came out and the cow was quit walking in a circle, but it still had that ring around it. And when they looked, God had put a new eye in that cow dad was such a man of faith and believer he went and got his records he thought he had the wrong cow he looked at his ear tag that he had written down because he thought maybe i took the wrong one to the vet there's no way that that i mean the eye was back in the socket y'all this is such a great thing even a 17 year old can have experience even a kid can say i've done it with my dog i've done it with my cow remember my pet deer I've done it with these things. I know that's how I can do it here. Look at this. David's courage grows out of his experience with God, what he has done. So look at this. David's courage grows out of his theology, what he believes, but it doesn't stop there. David's courage grows out of his experiences with God because of what God has done in his life. You know, there's a lot of conflict for David, not even counting Goliath. life environment had to be internally right inside of David before he could ever make it go into the external. You know, I took a look again at Psalm 23 and I thought, does it reflect that at all because it's such a peaceful, tranquil psalm? And I started realizing there are two environments in Psalm 23. Look at this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So you thought I was just skipping some things. He says, I will not be afraid for you are with me. And then it says, in the presence of my enemy, thou preparest a table before me. My mom loves to tell the story that we had a little dog and we'd feed it, and the neighbor dogs would come eat its food and beat the little dog up. And so every day we'd put food out and our dog would get beat up, plus it had no food. So one day mom stood with the dog while it ate. And that's the picture of God. I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. I comfort you, I anoint you, it runs over. And I was thinking, there are two environments going on. There is no promise here that you're going to have a life, a problem-free life. Can't even say it. That you're going to have a problem-free life, that you're going to have no conflicts, that you're going to have no enemies. It says you're going to have two environments. And in the midst of them, if God's with you and he prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemy, you can overcome any environment that you're facing. And that's what David threw at Goliath. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. I had picked up his fear of death. A friend of mine got killed in the middle of the night. Mom came in and told me in the dark. And it took me forever to get that... Fear of death. I mean, anybody enter my bedroom, I just I relive that kid getting killed in the middle of the night. He got into witchcraft and he had all this marijuana pot underneath his car, and and four of them were killed in the in the car. And I think it's because my mom just walked in my bedroom without turning the light on. She goes, "Do you know?" And she named his name. I couldn't make my mind think, and I was constantly afraid of death. And did you know this is the verse the Lord gave me? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall not fear, because you are with me. And I felt that spirit of fear I'd let in from that kid's death come off of me. You know, your fourth environment are enemies. And they're going to be enemies of the Lord, and you will have personal confrontation. If you don't know how to handle confrontation, you're not going to make it. David had to confront these are great words. Meanwhile, the fullest thing with his shield bare in front of him kept coming closer to David. And he looked David over. I bet that was funny. Toes to head. He looked him over. And he said, you're a little bit more than a boy. You're glowing with health and you're handsome. And he despised him. He was like, I'm going to have to kill a pretty one today. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistines started cursing him by his gods. And he said, come here, for I will give your flesh to the birds and to the wild animals. You know, basically what David had done? He had been a shock to Goliath's ego. You know, Goliath thought in 40 days, you could have come up with a better one than this one. And David said to the Philistines, you come to me with the sword and the spear and the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down. I'm going to cut your head off with the sword that's in your (laughs) sheath. This very day I will give you carcass to the Philistines, to the army, to the birds, and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. We've talked about that. And he will give you into our hands. And the Philistine moved in closer to attack him. But it says David ran quickly towards him. Oh, watch those little ones. You know what? In these emotional encounters, you've got to, with your emotions, you've got to not ask yourself how you're feeling. You've got to take your feelings to the battle. Remember Smith Wigglesworth? When he started getting old, everybody goes, Smith Wigglesworth, are you feeling old? You're, like, he's in his 85. Are you old, Smith Wigglesworth? He goes, how do you feel in the morning? He goes, I don't ask myself how I feel. I tell myself how to feel. That's a whole new authority here. The emotional intelligence. Switching atmospheres. Porous environment. You know, you think, well, maybe only in the world do we have this thing where we have to worry about the glass. How about if it's only when we're out fighting non-believers? But you know, I was going to give you these two verses. You can write them down. Ephesians 4.14 and 2 Timothy four three through 4 Ephesians 4.14 says that in the last days that people will be carried away by waves and carried away by every wind of doctrine. And 2 Timothy 4 says that time will come when they'll not endure sound doctrine, but they'll want to have their ears tickled. You know, I was thinking... There's a temptation in here to every single day go over a lesson on what's wrong with what everybody else believes. <laughs> this week, is next week, we will do. <laughs> you just feel like every week you want to take a doctor and- that has gotten the whole world off and say because you can spend your whole time on it. You know what? I'm going to put you in responsibility. I'm telling you, in the last days, there's going to be every fad there is. Please go somewhere and pick up what's good and leave what's bad. If a cow's smart enough to eat the hay and leave the sticks, aren't you smart enough to say, yes, that's right, or no, that's not? Don't accumulate teachers that tell you what you want to hear to get your own brand. Stay with the sound doctrine. You know, Jonathan texted me and he said, Jonathan Dobernecki, and he goes, Angie, you would love it. Bill Johnson got up and he said he annihilated hyper-grace teaching. He took it completely out. I was like, oh. <laughs> but you know why? Because it's destroying people. Yeah. It's getting in. These doctrines are going crazy, y'all. They're going in every direction. You know, the world has answers to it. I read a, a book on emotional intelligence and it was interesting what they said. I was thinking... In Israel, in a little bitty museum in Tel Aviv near Rothschild Street, there was this little short Jewish guy named Joseph Bau. And in the midst of a prison camp where they had no food, no clothes, no hope, everyone was dying, he would look out his window and he would see people standing next to the electrical fence who had given up all hope in life. And they decided, I'm going to jump into the fence, and commit suicide. And Joseph bowed in the midst of an environment of death and everybody in despair, nobody helping anybody. Because when lawlessness increased, most people's hearts grow cold. He would go to the fence, and he would start telling them jokes, romantic jokes, jokes about love. He would pull pranks. He would whistle. He gave a rose to the girl he was in love with. Think of the girl he was in love with. Her head was shaven. Y'all, would you be in love with a girl who was baldy? (laughs) She looked terrible. He went and gave a rose to her. Did you know that he fell so in love with this girl that he put on a dress and he put on a bonnet and he crawled over the electrical fence and he snuck into the women's barracks and he married the woman? And while he was in there, five of the Jews were killed and they could hear him being beaten to death because they found men in the women's barracks. So on his wedding night, instead of getting to be with his his new wife, he was a pillow. Five women used him as a pillow to keep him from getting killed and they could feel him shaking. And he was a little bitty short guy, and he doesn't know how he did it, but they did a roll call. And if he hadn't have been there, they'll kill a hundred Jews for him not showing up. And he ran with all of his might and asked the Lord to help him, and he was able to throw his body over the electrical fence. And then they decided not to do a roll call. Yeah, I can throw my body over. <laughs> you know what I'm thinking? That had to be an angel doing. Did you know that you can take your environment and change it? That he literally was the funniest guy in Israel. He wrote great things. He was a prophet. There was a, The words of the Hebrew letter told him, you will go to Bethel, you'll go to Israel. Y'all, you can change your environment. Those things that you meditate on, those things that you get in the side of you, we're going to end with the last verse. And Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine. And he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner? This is that young man going out there? Abner replied, as surely as you live, your majesty? I don't know. And the king said, find out whose son this young man is. You know what? David just got promoted. And the king now needs your father's name because your father's name is just fixing to be taken off the tax rolls for life. Amen. <laughs>